My name is Grant. I'm one of the pastors here at Restored Uptown. And I just found out there's another South African in the room, which made me feel very at home. So really grateful for that. Um, I'll let you find them afterwards if you grab another cup of coffee. Um, but I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump into today's sermon. And I just want to welcome you here, Holy Spirit. And as we learn, as we listen, as we go through your word today, I just ask you to speak to us and teach us and encourage us and challenge us and stretch us and help us, Holy Spirit, to know you more, to follow you, to respond to you this morning. I pray you would help us as a church to grow more and more in the area of dependence on you. And I pray today that we would know just next steps as we leave here, things you're wanting us to know and believe, things you're wanting us to do, um, even ways you're wanting us to trust in you. So we welcome you here, Holy Spirit, and say, have your way. Amen. So my name is Grant, as I said. I've been a pastor um, and working in church world since I was about 20. But before that, I studied cultural studies and worked as a copywriter for a short period of time. I wanted to be a creative director at an ad agency. That was the goal. But while I was at university, I was studying cultural studies, and I loved it. I loved theory. For those of you who studied the humanities and enjoyed that, I really love that world. I love theory, and I am a bit of a book nerd. Um, judge me all you want, but I just really enjoyed reading some of the things that we went through at university. And I remember reading a book on semiotics and linguistics in my first year of university. It's by a guy named Ferdinand de Soisseur, which I think is a really cool name if you need to name a child. And there was this one idea which impacted me at the time around words and still to this day impacts me as a preacher just in my thinking around preaching. And he had this really simple concept in like chapter one or two of the book where he said words, even common words, words that we use every day or all the time, words that we all understand and know can have different connotations and different meanings to different people. So for example, this morning as I say to you the word dog, what comes into your mind? And if somehow there was a way to put each picture that comes into your mind up on the screen, there would be lots of different dogs coming up on the screen based on probably your experience and your life. Some of you, it would be some small dogs, some cute little Fidos. Others, some really big dogs, maybe aggressive dogs. Some of you would be Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Some Marley and Me, some Cujo, which I never watched, but Googled was apparently like a really scary dog movie. So if you've seen it, if it's a bad movie, I'm sorry. I just Googled that one. But we've all got these different ideas of dogs. And I had this beautiful puppy when I was growing up. His name was Odie, great original name. And he was a Schnauzer cross Maltese, little black, little gray, little white. And I still remember my sister and I running around our living room and Odie chasing us and we'd jump on the couch and he was too small to get up. But over time, he had some kind of skin disease, which my parents did their best to treat. Uh, I think they spent thousands of dollars on medicine and shampoos and conditioners and new food for his diet and everything they could to try and treat this. But Odie's skin just became harder and tougher. His hair fell out. He, he literally had what looked like rhino hide on his back. He was just like gray, thick skin. And he got cataracts over his eyes, so he started to get like a little bit aggressive. Uh, this cute little puppy really turned over time, you know. And some of you also have these experiences of dogs. That is what is coming to your mind as I say this. And then I know there's other people in the room that you're like, well, you've lost me, Grant. I'm a cat person. I'm not interested in dogs at all. So this is irrelevant to me. I don't care about this. This isn't connecting with me. I'm not enjoying the sermon so far. That's fair. 
But when I, when I bring up a word like dog, there's a reality that there's an emotional connection. There's experiences. There's movies you've watched. There's dogs you've known that shape what comes to your mind around that concept. Some of you always wanted a dog. Some of you might have been attacked by a dog. Some of you might have had this pet, which was your family member. You know, you loved this dog. And when it died, it was a really, really hard moment for you. And that happens with all sorts of different things. And it's true in church that when we sometimes talk about theological concepts and ideas, sometimes there's baggage that we bring into them, good or bad, which can affect and impact the way that we engage with the topic. And today we're starting a new series on the Holy Spirit. And that's a beautiful and big concept that some of us have had different experiences of. Some of you might have not grown up in the church and you might have zero baggage when it comes to this container of the word Holy Spirit. And you're like, it sounds good. You know, I I consider myself a spiritual person. I'm down to learn about this. And I think today and as we go through the series, you will learn more about Christian spirituality. Uh, We want to help you with that. Some of you also come from a background where you love the Spirit. You've had such a positive experience of the Spirit. You're like, let's go. You know, I want to talk about this more. I wish we spoke about this more. It restored. This is an important topic. And then others come from a background where the Holy Spirit was seen in a bit of a suspect light. You know, and you're hearing this and you're hearing that we're doing this series through the lens of weirdness and strange things happening in church and uncertainty and mysticism and all of those things. And maybe you're a little bit hesitant about doing a series on this. And then others probably come from church backgrounds where the Holy Spirit has almost been non-existent. You know, he's, he's mentioned in passing. He pops up from time to time. You might have read about him, but he's almost an ignored member of the Trinity, almost an ignored aspect of theology that you know about him, but you don't really know him and you don't really know what he does. So you're not um, positive or negative. You're almost just apathetic around the concept of the Spirit. So really my invitation to all of us today, you know, whether you have a church background or not, whether your experience of the Spirit is positive or not, is that today as we start the series and as we start to look at the person and work of the Spirit over the next while, that we would come with a humble openness to what the Scriptures say and to what Jesus teaches and that there would be a desire in us as disciples of Jesus, if you are one, that we would say we want to respond to whatever the Word says about the Spirit And we want to learn and grow in what that means and looks like. So first up, why are we doing this series? Um, If you were here over the last two weeks, Andy was sharing from 1 Samuel 1, 2, and 3 about two values that we feel like God is highlighting for us as a church this year. The values of the Holy Spirit and the household. And that's going to come into our Sunday preaching and our GC content throughout the year. That's going to come into Sunday uh, summer school stuff in the middle of the year and trainings and equippings and things that we do. And we're going to be preaching on those two things. So today, that is why we're starting this series. We want to teach on the Holy Spirit. We want to look at what uh, the Spirit does. We want to look at what that means for us and how to respond. And then secondly, I guess the question is, why this sermon? Um, Today my sermon is on our value of dependence. And we as a church and in our family of churches that Nick spoke about earlier, we have six values. And we don't want these values to just be things that are on our website or when you do like a new to restored lunch or a new members course, you hear about these, but they're just words on a page. They're not culture. They're not lived out. They're not embodied. We we want this to be true of who we are as a community. So those values are gospel, mission, multiplication, family, renewal, 
and dependence. So today I'm going to be speaking about one of our core values as a church and as a family of churches and really just set the stage in a way for the series that is ahead. If you uh, went to our church's website or you went to Restored Together, the family of churches website, this would be the definition you would find for our value of dependence. Allowing God to lead. We're a church who strives to live dependently on the power of the Holy Spirit in every area of our lives. I love that, allowing God to lead. I think for us as disciples, growing as followers of Jesus means going from independence, reliance on self, more and more towards uh, to dependence on God. Reliance on God, submission to God, yieldedness to God, a following of God. And as I wrote this sermon, I kind of finished and I, I wrote this down. Growing as a disciple of Jesus means going from independence to greater dependence. And I just thought that's, that's a helpful summary of this. And when I was praying for today, I felt like the Spirit said to me, Grant, like you're moving on very fast from that. This is a big concept. This is a personal thing for people. Because in America and in South Africa, where I come from, independence is a very important value. Self-reliance, self-sufficiency, autonomy is a really important thing. Freedom and strength and the ability to do the things that we want to do is a huge thing. So when we say dependence is allowing God to lead, when we talk about moving from independence to dependence and all that comes with that, this idea of submission. God, my life is not mine. It belongs to you. God, I'm not going to do whatever I want. I want to do your will in your way, at your time, all of those things. It is a radical personal and cultural shift. And I just, as we get into this today, I know some of you have been in this church for five, six, seven, eight, maybe nine, ten years, and you know that our value is dependence. But has that sunk down deep? the reality of allowing God to lead, of having a life that is open before Him, ha having a life that is led by and dependent on the Spirit, having a life where we are saying, not my will, but yours be done. And if you're newer to this church, growing in that, or if you're exploring what it means to follow Jesus, the, the fact that this is part of what it means to be a disciple, to let God lead. In John 15 verse 5, Jesus says something that's pretty insulting and offensive. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. And I, I love that in some ways, the thought of God working through me to do stuff. But as I do look at this room, I'm looking at a bunch of people who I know are capable and strong and gifted and strategic and problem solving and people who can get stuff done, gritty people, pe people who can hustle, people who can get stuff done. And it, in a sense, we can look at this and think, well, that's not fair. I can do stuff on my own. You know, Jesus, like, I, I get what you're saying, but I can do a lot in my own strength. I can do a lot on my own. I can change a lot about myself on my own. But scripture shows us that Jesus not only created the world and everything that exists, but in Colossians 1, it says, that everything that exists relies on him, that he holds all things together in himself, which is such a radical truth. So if we think about that, not just that God created things and he just lets things roll on, but that if Jesus for one second was to just stop, 
stop holding you together and me together and this world together, then everything that makes us up would just start to separate and disappear and we would no longer exist. We hold together in Him. We rely on Him for every breath. You know, whether we are aware of that or we think about that, we want to accept that. We are reliant on Him for every single aspect of every moment of every day. I think Adam spoke about that so well in the offering talk today as well. We are completely dependent on God, and there is so much that we cannot do without His help. Which means that in this teaching series, and as we learn to do life in the Spirit and depend on the Spirit, it will require humility of us and surrender of us and yieldedness of us to the Spirit and to His leading and to His work and to becoming a people that are more and more dependent on Him. Surrendering our will to God's will. Surrendering our way to God's way. Surrendering our timing to God's timing with things that we do. Surrendering outcomes to God. Because we can obey God. We can do what He calls us to do. But that doesn't mean that we're going to get the outcome that we might want in a situation. And learning more and more to trust in Him and rely on Him and depend on Him in all things and for all things. Now, over the last six months, if you've been with us, we've been in a series on the Sermon on the Mount about that life, looking at the good life that Jesus promises in Himself, looking at the Sermon on the Mount and these big ideas of wholeness and flourishing in Jesus and His way. And we've looked at His teaching, and, and the call has been to respond to His teaching. But in this series, it's not that we're looking at Jesus' teaching so much as we're looking at Jesus' Spirit who is with us and empowers us and helps us to live out His teaching. Jesus' Spirit that leads us and guides us. He, he's called the Parakletos, the one who comes alongside, the, the helper who is with us for all of life. So we've looked at Jesus' teaching, and now we are looking at Jesus' empowering presence, His Spirit, who comes to help us in all of life. So with all of that in mind as an intro, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Romans 8, or it will come up on the screen next to me. And really this, this morning, we want to look at what this has to say about the Spirit and what it has to say about following Jesus and about our dependence on Him. And the reason I wanted to look at this today is because Romans 8 is the chapter in the Bible that speaks the most about the Spirit. This is a quote from a, an old pastor named Ray Ortland, which I love. He says, the key word in Romans 8 is spirit. In chapter 1 to 7, the word spirit appears only five times. In chapters 9 to 16, spirit occurs eight times. But here in chapter 8, the word spirit suddenly bursts onto the scene 21 times, more often than in any other chapter of the entire New Testament. So, God's provision for weak Christians is the Holy Spirit. And I hope you hear that as good news today. If you feel weak, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel tired, God has given us His Spirit to help us to follow Him and in life and in all the aspects that it means of following Jesus. So let's read what this passage says, Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, in light of everything that's come before it, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh." 
But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we're not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with them, so that we may also be glorified with them. So that's a really chunky passage. Some of you are like, I got like one thing from that. That's okay. Uh, an exercise I think would be really helpful for all of us is to actually print that out or, or go to our Bibles and highlight every time the word spirit pops up there and say, what is it telling me about the spirit and what is it telling me about what the spirit does? Or if you want to go like expert level, actually try and rewrite that passage in your own words just to grapple with crystallizing what Paul is saying in that passage because there's a lot in there. But I'm going to try and help us do that today and look at just some of the things that it's telling us about the Spirit and what He does and what it looks like to depend on Him. And in verse 9 to 11, we've got this core to this idea, this big key idea in Romans 8, where it tells us that we are in Christ, and if we are, then the Spirit is in us and we are in the Spirit. Which, okay, just let that settle in for a moment. We are in Christ and we're in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in us. It's this weird theological Russian nesting doll situation. Like, I'm in, you're in. It, it's very hard to like grasp what is going on there. And this is something we see again and again throughout the New Testament. This is key to Paul's writing, this idea of being in Christ. But it's not just that we're in Christ. It tells us that we're in Christ, and Christ is in God. So Ephesians 1 says, we are hidden with Christ in God. And not only that, but Christ is in us, and the Spirit is in us, and we're in the Spirit. Which again, if you want to try and rewrite that in your own words, that might be really, really helpful to try and crystallize what is going on there. But the idea here is this beautiful picture of being immersed in the life of God, of being baptized into the fullness of God, and of making our home in Him. John 15, that we've already looked at, Jesus says, abide in me. Make our dwelling in God. Make our home in God, which is not a small and unintentional thing that we do. Most of you in this room know that we moved from South Africa here to San Diego about a year ago, just over a year, actually. And I just want you to know that was a complicated process. Uh, from first making that decision to then packing up our lives and coming here, 
the number of phone calls and quotes and emails that went into packing up our stuff in our apartment. The list that we had to make about what we were gonna bring and what we were gonna sell or give away or get rid of. And then the actual process. Uh, I remember this because it was my daughter's second birthday. It was the 25th of February. And the movers came and our house in the morning looked normal. And in the afternoon, it was empty. And I remember Shell and I feeling like a bit emotional and sad because we'd kind of dropped the ball. Her mom and sister showed up with cake for August. And I think August was eating her birthday cake with like a plastic spoon out of like a paper bowl or something like that because all of our stuff was gone, you know. And I remember us locking the door and saying goodbye and it being the end of this time of living at 323 Curry Road. And then it's not just leaving, it's also planting, uprooting and then planting. So when we got here, we found a home and then we had to wait for our stuff to arrive and buy the stuff we didn't have. And then when we got all of that, we had to put everything into the right place in our home. My wife like crunching like the space for a while, like how am I gonna do this? Where's everything gonna go? What's the right flow for this? And then adjusting that again and again and again. And then it not just being about a home, but a life. So as well as all of that, it was insurance and medical aid and driver's licenses and all of these things that went into planting. And what Romans 8 is saying to us is that the Spirit of God is wanting to make His home in us. It's not an unintentional thing. It's not a passive thing. It's a very active and intentional thing that the Spirit is doing to come and live in us. But it's not just that He lives in us. We live in Him too. We want to make our home in the Spirit. So we want to work that out, but also we want to be good landlords or good tenants for the Spirit as He lives inside of us and gets used to life inside of us too. That's part of what's going on in Romans 8. And that can be hard. Making your home somewhere new can be a significant adjustment. I told you about my one dog, Odie. We had another dog called Jet. Beautiful black Labrador, guys. Any Lab fans in the room? Whoa, okay, some Labrador fans. I love it. I see that hand, Sandra. Um, we got this puppy when his owners moved. He was rehomed with us. He was probably a few months old. And when he came to live with us at 82 Emilwaney Road, it took him quite a while to adjust. He had a new home. He had a new family. He had a new life. We were excited. We bought baskets and blankets and bowls and toys, gave him tons of hugs. We just loved Jet. He was the cutest dog. But he wasn't used to our home, and he ran away every night for about a week. My dad had to go and chase him and find him and bring him home until one night he was hit by a car, and he had to have surgery to replace his hip. The story ends well, guys. He lived a long, happy life at our home. <laughs> but this dog that was living in an unfamiliar space wasn't used to it. He kept running back to find the old life that he had, eventually was slowed down by this hip, this hip replacement, this hip surgery where he was forced to settle into a new home, a new family, and a new life. And part of what's going on in Romans 8 is this. It's saying the unfamiliar way of the Spirit, the, the unfamiliar way of being in Christ, is going to take us a while to get used to. But in Him, we have a new family, a new home, and a new life. That actually, we can easily run back to the old way of the flesh that Paul talks about a lot here but we're wanting to learn to settle into the new way of the Spirit till that becomes familiar and normal and a part of everyday life. So how does Romans 8 say that we do that? That we live a life of dependence, a life in the Spirit? 
What does the Spirit do to help us in this? Because this is a lot more about us actively engaging with the Spirit and what He's doing than about what we do. Well, firstly, the Spirit gives us a new mindset. The Spirit helps us to think the way God thinks, to think the thoughts of God. It says this in Romans 8 verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The best way I can think to explain what's going on there is back in the day before Apple got so smart and reset all of our phones and watches, whenever you change time zones or whenever there was daylight savings, automatically, what a gift. Back in the day, if you had a power failure or something, you had to reset everything to the right time. I don't know if you guys had this here, but in South Africa, when that happened, we had a phone number that you could call. And did you guys have that here? I remember phoning, what is the correct time? And you would hear this and you'd go, that, how do they know? <laughs> you know? How do they know this? And then you would go to all your devices and set it back to the original time. That's the kind of thing Paul is speaking about here, is we're so in sync with the world around us. And as we come to live in the new way of the Spirit, we're needing to set our minds on the things of God, where before we've been so set on the other things around us. It's a re-syncing. We're so in sync with our world, but we want to become in sync with God and His Spirit and what He's saying and what He's doing. Now, to set our minds doesn't just mean to think about something once. It doesn't even mean to know something. Some of us have heard the things I'm talking about before. You might know them, you might believe them, but have we actually gone and set our minds on the things of the Spirit in the way Paul in Romans 8 is speaking about? Or do we just know that our minds should be set on the things of the Spirit? There's a need not just to know something, but to focus, to pay attention to, to to intently look towards the Spirit, which is important because whatever we set our minds on will shape our lives. Whatever we set our minds on will shape our lives. Whatever preoccupies our minds controls our lives. And any of you in this room who've fallen in love before know that this is true. You know, when you fall in love with someone, Will's smiling. He, know, he remembers the days, feeling freshly in love right now, I don't know. But when you fall in love with someone, they just fill your mind all the time. You can't stop thinking about them. You know, first thing in the morning when you wake up, last thing before you go to bed, it just changes your mood. You, you think about them. You want to be with them. It changes your schedule. You're willing. I remember when Shell and I started dating, I went to bed later and I got up earlier. I wanted to spend as much time with her as I could. I texted her a lot. We spent, like we were chatting on Facebook Messenger back in the day till like 2 a.m., just absolutely ridiculous and lame in hindsight, but I just wanted to talk to her. I just wanted to have some kind of connection with her. Your priorities change. You all of a sudden find yourself dressing differently and interested in things that you weren't interested in before. I know this never happened to me, but some of you find yourself writing poetry for the first time in your life. Like you never wrote poetry, but now you feel like I need to express myself in this way and then read these beautiful poems to the love of my life, you know. Now, again, not me, not me, just you guys. But you change. Your love for this person, your infatuation with this person motivates you to respond differently because you're getting in sync with them. Your mind is changing because it's preoccupied with them more and more and more and more. Whatever preoccupies our minds controls our lives. And I want to ask you to think about this just for a moment. What is your mind set on? What is your mind set on now? Is your mind set on God and the things of God? Or something else? 
Here in Romans 8, we see that our thinking determines our spirituality, which could be a new concept for some of us. I grew up in very charismatic and Pentecostal churches. Thinking and uh, logic and reasonableness and uh, like study wasn't something that was highly valued. Experience and feeling were highly valued. But here in Romans 8 verse 5, it says, those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the Spirit. It's a bit of a spirit sandwich there. Spirit, mind, spirit. Do you see that? If we want to live out the spirituality of Jesus, if we want a life lived with God in the presence of God, then we need to set our minds, our focus, our intention on the Spirit. Now, most of us have done this before. I don't know what your mind is set on right now, but we can think of times when our mind was set on work or studies or family or kids, or maybe it was set on goals. These are my goals for the future, and those determine everything. They drive everything. Or maybe it's something you want. <laughs> I want to get this thing, and our mind is set on that, is consumed by that. Everything we do is determined by that. But here we see that life in the Spirit requires a resetting of our mind on God and on the things of God. So is your mind set on the Spirit? I think very practically, this is something we can start to build into our lives. Um, you can set reminders on your phone, on your laptop that pop up from time to time that just remind you to think about Him, to speak to Him. Just to pause. It doesn't have to be a long period of time, but just to pause and just think about God. Maybe just a momentary prayer. God, would you be with me? Would you help me to be aware of you right now? We, um, we had spaghetti bolognese for dinner last night. Um, Alyssa Haley joined us. And I said to my daughter, August, would you pray for us? And uh, she's just such a prayer, you guys. She goes, Jesus, please help us. Amen. <laughs> that was the prayer. I'm like, please help us with what? <laughs> like, this, this dinner should be fine. I think this is a safe moment for us as a family. <laughs> but just such a beautiful, simple prayer. Jesus, please help us. Amen. Let's eat, you know. And if that was something we were to all pray a few times throughout the day, becoming more aware of God and our dependence on God and need for Him, I think that would be a beautiful thing for each one of us. Jesus, please help us. Amen. Maybe even just a reminder to thank God throughout the day, even in hard seasons. What can I thank Him for? What can I appreciate? How can I worship Him in the midst of pain, of suffering, of struggle? As we pause and pray, as we focus like this, we are resetting our minds on God in the midst of life. And I just want to say this because I feel like a, a sensitivity this morning to those who in this room might feel like Christianity is really hard work. And maybe you're feeling heavy with living out your faith and are feeling almost the demands of following Jesus. This is not a doing thing. This is not add more to your life. This is about stopping to be aware of God because we are so distracted. It's actually resetting our minds because our minds have been set on other things. We have all either intentionally or unintentionally set our minds on something. And here in Romans 8 verse 5, it's saying, would you remind yourself, would you intentionally come to set your mind on God, which is what is best for you? Secondly, the Spirit helps us to change and gives us a new life. I think every one of us in this room want to change for the better. And the promise of Romans 8 in the Scriptures is that the Spirit helps us to do that. The Spirit helps us to have a new life in Him. Romans 8 verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will experience the fullness of life, life and life to the full, the life that is truly life that Jesus promises in himself. Now, to put to death is a strong term. Um, it's violent. It's aggressive. It's pretty um, proactive, you know. And the, the old theologians would use the word mortification for this, which I looked up as the name of an Australian heavy metal hardcore band. Sounds tough, you know, mortification, mortified. But we don't use that word. The, the closest we might get with mortified is to say, I feel mortified. We're really embarrassed. We feel humiliated. We want the ground to swallow us up. We want to die. We say we feel mortified about something. To mortify is to kill. And the Spirit does this. The Spirit puts sin to death inside of us, which is good news. We can't kill sin. We can fight. We can be self-controlled. We can be self-disciplined. But the Spirit kills sin in us. He helps us to change. So there is, there is an action on our part. We're not passive in this. We are active and engaging with the Spirit, but we fight by the Spirit. We kill sin by the Spirit, not by our own strength. There's a lot we, as people with self-control and discipline, can do to change, but the reality is at the heart level, at our core, our deepest motivations and things are things we cannot do. We cannot change. We can pray. We can ask the Spirit for help, but we cannot change them in our own strength. And the Spirit comes like a skilled surgeon to this tumor, to this growth deep inside of us that we cannot operate on, that we cannot do work on. But we go to the surgeon and say, we need your help. And we let the surgeon, the Spirit, come with that scalpel and do the most fine, detailed work inside of us to remove this dangerous sin, this tumor that could kill us and could destroy us to set us free, to help us to change, to become who God is calling us to become. We need to be dependent on the surgeon's help if we want to change. So the Spirit kills sin in us, but the Spirit does more than that. And I love this. I'm deeply grateful to Tim Keller's writings on Romans 8 for this because he showed me that not only does the Spirit kill sin, but he plants seeds of new life inside of me too. And these seeds of the way of God, the, the new life that he's called me to, he removes the old and he plants the new and the new starts to grow up in me from the inside out. And I begin to change to become who he's called me to be. I begin to see the fruit of this new life growing inside of me, changing me from the inside out. And I begin to live a new life through his help. Thirdly, the Spirit gives us a new motivation. Romans 8 verse 11 if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, has made his home in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. And this again is something that I'm so grateful for, this insight from some of Keller's writings. Because I've never noticed before that the spirit points us back to the cross and the resurrection. You know, in a few weeks, we're going to be talking about that, celebrating Easter. But here in this work of the Spirit and what He does, it's saying the Spirit points us back to the one who raised Jesus from the dead, reminds us of His death, reminds us of His resurrection to help us to change, to motivate us with gratitude for the extent God was willing to go to to save us. The, the grace and gift of Jesus so that we could be reconciled to God and be forgiven. And what I love about this is in our fight with sin, we're pointed to the cross, not with guilt, 
Like the Holy Spirit saying when we sin, when we mess up, when we fail, when we do again that thing we know we shouldn't do, like, how could you do this to me? Like, that's not what's going on here. The Spirit is not guilting us and shaming us and saying, Grant, how could you do it again, man? You keep messing up. You keep stuffing up in the same area, Grant. It's not what he does. The Spirit in my moments of weakness and sin points me back to the cross and shows me how much God loved me, shows me the extent he went to that I could be forgiven, shows me Jesus' sacrificial, costly death, shows me all of that so that there would be a gratefulness, a gratitude inside of me that wells up to say, I want to change. Holy Spirit, would you help me to change? Would you help me to change? It's a gratitude thing. It's not a guilt thing. It's not a shame thing. And one of the things we see as we live in the Spirit is the need to remember this, to remember the cross, to remember the resurrection, to remember Jesus and what He's done. Almost we need to preach these sermons to ourselves throughout the day. These little mantras reminding ourselves of the goodness of God and the work of God on our behalf. And as we do this, one of the things we're doing is we're learning to set our minds on the things of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, this famous Welsh preacher, he said these two things. He said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? I know that's true. I say a lot of things to myself which don't help me, that make me down, that make me feel terrible about myself. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? The main art, this is quote number two, The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. The the point that he is making, which I think is radical, is that all of us in this room, whether you're a Christian or not, we all preach sermons to ourselves throughout the day. We all do it. And the thing we need to become aware of is what sermons am I preaching to myself? What messages am I allowing in my head and heart that are shaping me and the way I live my life and engage with this world? Um, I'm pretty sure all of you are aware of some of these when you exercise. When you go to gym, when you run, when you train, you're like, come on, Grant, two more minutes, push, push, you can do this. I, um, you wouldn't, I don't look like it, you wouldn't believe this, but I, I did do boxing for a while. Uh, Pre-COVID, my boxing gym shut down, didn't make it, but 2018, 2019, I was boxing. And I had this coach who was brilliant. And he was a good motivator, you know? Told me I could hit hard, but my leg work was terrible. I was like, okay, coach, I'm gonna work on my leg work, I'm gonna do it. But he would motivate us to do the things that we were wanting to do. And he would just push us to get there to the end, you know? You can do it, you can push harder, you can go faster. And he also had a bunch of signs on the wall, like 30 different signs. So while you were on the ground, while you're looking, okay, You know, you're like being motivated by these different messages. A lot of them were guilt and shame messages. A lot of them were like, come on, Grant, you suck. You've got to do this. Be a better man, that kind of thing. My my two favorites said, sweat is fat crying, which I loved. I was like, it's true, man. Cry, fat, cry. The other one was pain is weakness leaving the body. And I was like, okay, come on, get out of here, weakness. But these were signs that would guilt and shame and motivate me to try and do better. These were not grace messages, you know. This wasn't Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. This was trying to guilt me into like just pushing a little bit harder and finishing the workout. And sadly, 
probably a lot of us in this room have those messages in our hearts too and in our minds too. These messages which are not grace motivators, are not gratitude motivators for what Jesus has done. We're not believing that the Spirit is with us to help us. We're guilting and shaming ourselves into doing better, trying harder, doing more. That's not what the Spirit does. The Spirit does not guilt us and shame us. The Spirit convicts us. He points us to the right way. He points us to what is true. But he doesn't motivate in that way. He motivates by pointing us back to the cross, by showing us God's love, by showing us God's grace. And then he helps us to do the things he's calling us to do. What are the sermons you're believing? What are the sermons you're preaching to yourself? 